Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts. I'm Michael Futter. And I'm Amanda Farrow. On each episode, we'll bring you analysis of the biggest business beats in video gaming news. This is episode 145. NetEase thinks Activision is a big jerk. You said it exactly the way I was thinking you would say it in my brain. This is, we are connected at the brain meets. <laughs> and that's why, folks. And those are our dogs. I bet you missed them. <laughs> Did you miss I them? I don't miss them. I don't miss them. We love them, but my goodness, they are legitimately the worst. All right, so we have, I don't know, it's not like... It's not, it's not a huge episode. It's not a huge notes, episode, but it's dense. The notes are longer than the show's going to be, I think. Yeah. <laughs> because it's just a lot of Honestly, detail. should we should we start sharing our show notes? No, because we put stuff in the show notes that should never see the light of day. <laughs> That's probably true. There's a lot of, a lot of commentary We said early on we were part. never, ever going to share our show notes, and there's a reason for it. <laughs> just imagine, like... We're shitposting in the show notes. There is an immense amount of shitposting in the show notes. This is true. Sometimes we go back and forth with comments and Google Docs and <laughs> it gets ugly. It's true. All right. We are kicking off with the NPD report on U.S. video game spending for October 2022. Which is not ugly. It's not ugly. It's not ugly. Uh, video game spending in the U.S. was flat year over year in October. It sat there at $4.3 billion. Uh, digital software sales and subs- uh, subscription growth driven by Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, uh, helped keep it flat, but it was offset by drops in both mobile and hardware. And when we get to mobile, we won't actually have numbers around that. Sensor Tower didn't share numbers. It's just, it's bad. So It's um, going to rain is what we're saying. It is. Ollie says it's going to rain. Ollie says it's going to rain. Now, we have closed the gap a bit on year-to-date spending. Remember, there was a point where I think we were at 9 maybe 10% down mm-hmm. for year-to-date. We're at 7% right now. So there's been $42.7 billion spent in the U.S. on video games across all categories. Amanda, why don't you walk us through hardware? Okay, so hardware is down 10% year-over-year to $424 million. PlayStation and Xbox grew double-digit, but, quote, other platforms declined reading between the lines uh, matt probably doesn't you know want an angry call from nintendo i I think it's really interesting matt always has to dance around this stuff because he's serving so many different partners here so many different npd clients but saying other platforms especially (laughs) given this last note where playstation 5 led october in both unit and dollar sales and xbox was second in both folks it is not hard to connect those last dots what is other platform uh it's definitely ooh yeah it's down I folks it. it's down so hard it is definitely down so hard yep on ooh yeah so <laughs> down to clown with ooh yes uh software and content uh game content sales were up 1.6 percent year over year to 3.7 billion dollars for the month call of duty modern warfare 2 was the big driver here it debuted at number one it led its launch month and this is the 15th straight call of duty release leading its launch month It's already the number two best-selling game of the year behind Elden Ring. Gotham Knights debuted at number two. Yep, FIFA 23 fell from number one to number three. Remember, last month was very sports-heavy. It was definitely very sports-heevy. Madden NFL 23 fell from two to four. And NHL 23 debuted at number five. Oh, chill. Yep. Mario and Rabbids Sparks of Hope debuted at number six. Now, even though this is a very Nintendo-focused release, just on Switch... 
Uh, this is a Ubisoft release, so digital is included on this one. Absolutely. Uh, Persona 5's release on Switch and Xbox saw it jump from what? 291 to number 7. Also, and PC, I didn't throw in the notes. So Switch, Xbox, and PC. So yeah, driving a huge amount of interest there. I love that. NBA 2K23 dropping from number 3 to number 8. So just as a reminder, we said it was very sports-heavy. FIFA, Madden, and NBA took 1, 2, and 3 last month. They did, and Chell wasn't there until just now. Right, correct. All right. Uh, Bayonetta 3 debuted at number 9. And remember, again, Nintendo doesn't include digital for NPD's reports. And this is a Nintendo-published release. Indeed. Elden Ring, hanging on in the top 10 since its release back in February, sliding from number 9 to number 10, though. Man. And I have a funny feeling it's, it's going to pick back up as we enter the holiday season. Yeah. Also, happy uh, Steam sale day. Yeah. And extremely happy Steam Cell Day to all the indie developers that I am about to give money to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some other notables in the list. Star Ocean The Divine Force debuted at number 14. Um, that's that's kind of rough. That's a rough debut for a game. I mean, we a talk about... A sweeping JRPG. A sweeping JRPG. But the interesting thing is uh, the previous game, which was had a name that I can't remember right now did not was not received very well and there is a, a ripple effect that happens when you release a game in a in a story series that doesn't do well people become a little bit more cautious now it's reviewing better than uh than this would imply so we'll see what happens over time uh Dragon Ball the Breakers debuted at number 16 that's their asymmetrical game uh that that looks super weird but it I have, a, really I have a little bit of interest in it but that's of course a you do that's a let's wait until it's a really cheap yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, PGA Tour 2K23 it de debuted at number 17. I don't know what happened there. Golf games are cool, but I guess everyone should just go play What the Golf instead. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that this is because, you know, this is this is just a matter of Sports? golf not being as widely. I mean, if you look at where NHL was debuted at number five versus FIFA and Madden well, and this NBA. Is like, okay, listen, this is specific for America. So just saying, just saying. Right, but we also can't even loop Canada. In but there. also, FIFA debuting at number one, even in America, is very interesting. Maybe they're all buying it to spite FIFA, or they're well that, or they're buying it for the Ted Lasso content. I mean, honestly, there is a part of me that does want to own this FIFA game for Ted Lasso content because yeah. I love Ted well, Lasso. We can pick it up. Uh, last up here on the software side, Nier Automata jumped from number two seventeen to number nineteen thanks to the Switch release. Dang, get yeah. after it. All right, okay, all right. Now we got to talk about mobile. Mobile's ugly. It's very ugly. Yeah. Mobile is absolutely still hurting, and October was no different, except that non-mobile releases like Modern Warfare 2 have created additional challenges. No percentage was provided, but spending is down again year over year. I gotta imagine it plummeted. Mm -hmm. For yeah. the first time ever, unless something major changes... We are headed for decline in U.S. annual mobile game spending. Like that is, we that is we cannot understate that enough. Mm -hmm. And while there are a number of contributing factors to that, not the least of which is, well, you know, <laughs> is our dog apparently. Yeah. Not the least of which is, you know, spending spending money is not what it used to be. People are not nearly as liquid mm -hmm. as they were. So, yeah. Please enjoy our dog. Please. She is a lot. Yes. Marvel Snap was not in the top 10 spent, 
But, you know, that was populated by standbys like Candy Crush and Roblox, Clash of Clans, PokeGo, and some hyper casuals. If you have not played Marvel Snap, you are missing out. It is so good. It is a magical time that will probably eat your brain. I, I have to wonder because it has a very non-aggressive monetization scheme. Yeah, they're probably like, just banking on players like us. We're just like, yeah, monthly. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, Ten I, bucks a month. Okay. I absolutely love their battle pass. Like it's it actually, great. it actually gates me in a way that I like. Where it's like, oh, I'm not. I could play more to raise my rank, but I'm not going to progress the battle pass much because I'm out of dailies. I don't want to spend the gold on refreshing my dailies, and I finished everything in the chapter. Yeah. So. There you go. Uh, Finally, for MPD, accessories were down 8% year over year at $148 million. All of the boom categories of the pandemic, keyboards, mice, headsets are resetting uh, now that people aren't making a run to set up a a home office for themselves. Yeah. Uh, PlayStation 5 DualSense Midnight Black led the month in dollar sales. Well, there we go. It was not an ugly month for anything other than mobile, but man, it'll be really interesting to see how the holiday season plays out when we get to take a look at it in January. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, one of our last earnings for the season, Embracer Group reported its second quarter fiscal year 2023 earnings. Net sales increased 190% on the back of acquisitions, but organic growth was still an impressive 35% to $9.5 billion sec or $900 million. By segment, now this is super interesting here. Uh, PC and console games increased 170% to 4.1 billion sec or $385.4 million. The 170 inter- or 107? 107%. Um, the, the really interesting part is that I did all the conversions. Mobile increased 67% <laughs> to 1.4 billion sec. To a, that's $135.5 million. Tabletop, which wasn't part of the mix year, a year ago because they hadn't yet acquired Asmodee, was $3.25 billion sec or $305.4 million. Now, this is where I want to draw the comparison. PC and console was 385.4 million. Tabletop was 305.4 million. Mm-hmm. Like tabletop, Asmodee is enormous, folks. Yeah, it's it's really if unless you are constantly in the the tabletop space, it's really easy to just kind of ignore it and be like, oh, well, what's even over there? It is friends, it is enormous. Asmodee is the biggest tabletop game publisher in the world. Mm-hmm. They gobbled up all of these little publishers that are now discrete business units for the most part. And it is, yeah, they're a powerhouse. And Embracer picking them up last year was, yeah, it was a power move. People asked a lot of questions about that, but man, I, I saw it as a, a brilliant fit because oh, yeah. of the IP. We have seen this flood of IP sharing between tabletop and video games. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of which. I'm gonna what? I'm gonna derail us for a second. Oh no! Uh, so what you know you Nemesis, the alien-like board game that we love. I've never heard of it. You I know, definitely never played it with Vivian. You know how they were making a video game? Yeah, it is actually out in 1.0, and it is not a translation. It's not a digital tabletop game. It is a first-person. Uh, it is a game. It is a it is an action game. Uh, so is a. It's kind of got a social deduction element to it because you never know who has what objectives. Like I, I really want to play it. Oh, that'd be really interesting. Yeah. So it's very much Nemesis. It looks like all the Nemesis assets, uh, but it is a different format. So it's not your... So this is what I mean. Like, There's a lot of synergies between uh, tabletop and video games and not just your direct to digital translations. Right. Transmedia is really interesting because it doesn't rely solely on 
well, we have to keep like it's having like a licensed game essentially. Exactly. Right? It's not it's not that vibe. Um transmedia these days is much more about how do we keep the vibe and make something new and interesting. And and this is so I'm just going to spitball one idea here. So <laughs> Asmodee owns Fantasy Flight. Fantasy Flight owns the they now have a miniatures label. They have an RPG label, they have a miniatures label. Their miniatures label, which I cannot remember the name of, has made a Marvel game. And has made Star Wars Legion. So you've got Star Wars Legion, and you've got this Marvel Crisis Protocol game. Right? You see something like Moonbreaker mm-hmm. that releases on Steam, which is doing okay. They've, they've really revamped everything that they've done. There's, they've changed their monetization model. Now we've got a relationship with Asmo, or, uh, Embracer-owned Crystal Dynamics uh, working on Marvel's Avengers. You've right. got Embracer-owned Eidos Montreal which uh, is working on, uh, which which did Gardens of the Galaxy, right? So you yeah. have a Disney relationship there. You have Crisis Protocol, you've got Legion. What if they took these miniatures games and did tactical strategy games that are competitive, oh. competitive miniature style games? So, so you see there's, there's a lot of IP synergy here and a lot of licensing opportunity here. Now, I, love not... how, I love how you're speaking corporate. That's really great. You're welcome. Say synergy one more time. Mufasa. <laughs> You're ridiculous. I know. Okay, now we have to we have to get back. We got to yeah, get back so, to earnings. Uh, entertainment and services increased sixty nice. nine percent. Nice to seven hundred eighty four million sec or seventy three point seven million dollars. Adjusted earnings before income and ta- or interest and taxes increased one hundred fifteen percent to two point one billion sec or one hundred ninety nine point five million dollars. However, Embracer revised its adjusted EBIT forecast down oh. for this year, but not making any revisions for next fiscal year. And this is due to the mixed reception of key releases, <clears throat> Saints Row, <laughs> and the delay again of Dead Island 2 out of this fiscal year. It was planned for February 3rd. Now it's April 28th. How, how, how is this even still happening? <sighs> What's one more delay, really? No, I don't. It's not even that. It's just like, I don't even, I don't know. This I, game is either... I. I it's, it's either, either going to be the greatest game of all time, or it's going to be, or Duke, it's gonna Nukem. be Duke Nukem. <laughs> Get out of my head! Oh boy, it's going to be Duke Nukem forever, yeah. where we were just waiting forever for a Duke Nukem game. So and it was ta- terrible. They're taking into account macroeconomic issues. So I think Smart. the reason why they adjusted down was Saints Row and the moving Dead Island two yeah. out. But they're not increasing next year's forecast, moving Dead Island Dead Island into that year. So the macroeconomic pressures and I don't know, maybe some internal trepidation over Dead Island too. So you're not, you're saying it's not going to be the goat? I, I, I don't know. Speaking of goat, although they're going to probably make money on that, Co- Coffee Stain, which is owned by Embracer, just released Goat Simulator 3. They're going to print money on that? Yeah. They are going to print money on Goat Simulator because I was watching our daughter play it. That game looks absolutely I can't wait to play rad. It. I can't wait. It looks so chaos. Um, so, so speaking of Saints yeah, Row, though, this is so, why I brought this is you like the flow here. I do, I do. I, I mean, you're talking to me like I've never read these these show notes, but um, I definitely helped write them. Re- re- listeners, do you like the flow here? <laughs> Smash that like button if you Smash like. Smash that like button. Smash that subscribe button to talk about Saints Row and flow, yo. Uh, speaking of Saints Row, That's the good. troubled launch has led Embracer Group to make its first internal reorganization. So in the earnings release, Embracer says that Saints Row did not meet expectations and left the fan base feeling polarized. Despite the fact that it didn't do terribly financially, the problem is when you have reviews that came out, you're you're squashing the long tail. This is a cyberpunk issue. Right? Yeah, it absolutely is. Although, I, I don't know 
what it is about CDPR, but people are there the long tail on that's been wonky yeah well i mean now that they have fixed it we'll go with we'll go with quotation marks fixed it so they fixed it so anyway yeah and and despite volition volition making uh working to make improvements it's actually being removed from the former coal media (laughs) sorry i couldn't get through it Say it again. (laughs) Mufasa. (laughs) Um, Removed from the play on business unit and it will now operate under Gearbox moving forward. So part of the motivation here is clearly geography, right? Volition is in Illinois. Gearbox is in Texas and play on is in Europe. Gearbox has also taken over uh, Ido Shanghai, which is now Gearbox Shanghai. Mm -hmm. Embracer notes that this may not be the last internal reorg like this. Which makes sense. I mean, you've got all these, they have 11 business units now. It's it's a very complicated business. And as long as they're doing right by their developers and by their studios, then reorganize to your heart's content. It, Just it, don't lay hundreds or thousands of people off in and the quite, process. Quite frankly, in the old days with Volition um, having two f- not great received releases remember agents of mayhem did not do terribly well i I was so disappointed by that too because when i was playing it i had a wonderful time i really liked it and i feel like i was the only one that liked that game that's okay you can you can be a fan of of games that don't review terribly well that's fine so i I, you can just call me oscar it's fine (laughs) so you know it's it's okay that they're reorganizing like they in the in the old days this would have been studio oh, closure been. and layoffs this would have been catastrophic usually when it comes to internal reorgs um uh, yeah. when it comes to internal reorgs like it 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 it's always almost always studio closures hundreds of people laid yeah. off thousands of people laid off in this particular case it might have been this is not a bad outcome but they, no they, this they is essentially okay. said like hey Gearbox has great management, which was throwing a little shade onto Deep Silver play on. Um, So, you know, we shall we shall see what happens there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yep. On the tabletop side, Asmodee is apparently carrying too much inventory Uh and they're going to be working over the next 12 months to address. Uh, Look out for those board game sales, folks. Uh, Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, one bright note here, uh, Eidos Montreal's Guardians of the Galaxy has been played by 8 million people in part due to Game Pass and PlayStation Plus inclusion. Uh, oh, hey, this was really interesting. Embracer says that it may take advantage of Swedish tax law to spin off some of its business units into separate publicly listed companies to improve shareholder value and improve flexibility. Okay. Yeah. That'll be interesting. So essentially right now you have these 11 business units. They're all part of Embracer. Mm-hmm. And... What will end up happening is some of those business units will become separate corporations with their own reporting and and everything. What will end up happening there probably is you'll have um, you'll have through equity, Embracer will still control and still own most of it, sure. but they'll have to have separate boards of directors and all that fun stuff. But that that is potentially good, yeah. for these discrete business units. Yeah. Like there, there's. There's a lot to like about that mm-hmm. because it doesn't keep everything under the same everything. Yeah. It, it, it's going to be easier to digest for sure. Uh, finally, Embracer notes that its collection of IP and pool of 10, 
thousand developers have become a strength that it can leverage in what amounts to a vague post. Embracer says, quote, one result of such efforts to capitalize on the value we have created is a transformative partnership and licensing deal that we have worked on with several industry partners. This deal covers a range of large budget upcoming games over the coming six years. That is anything. I could mean anything, but I have to I have to believe that maybe there is some big licensing deal here. And again, there's that Marvel relationship that exists. That's so, the thing that you're going to hang your hat on, eh? Well, yes. Yes. <laughs> but it's a I mean, it could be a broader Disney relationship because Sure. You know, but s- we already stores. know. Sure, it could very well be that. Or it it's the Gold be... Simulator cinematic universe. I'd allow it. Yeah goat simulator becoming the goat yeah but for real like i mean disney doesn't make its own games so it's important even though bob Iger is apparently back yeah that whole thing was weird <laughs> that was a weird time um that was a like we're sitting there watching tv i'm like what the fuck <laughs> just like that i look at my watch i'm like what the frankenstein it was it was a lot um but yeah i mean listen Bob Iger doesn't like video games. It's not really his jam. Yeah, they're going to continue licensing. But they're going to continue licensing. So, I mean, like, there's, like, but my point is, is that they do work with trusted partners on a number of different kinds of titles. So, you're right. What does this mean for potential broader Disney partnerships? Yep. Absolutely. All right. Uh, It is time for Investment Interlude, where we talk about mergers and acquisitions and uh, money, money, money. Money. Yeah. Uh, All right. What's up first? Bithel Games has announced a new publishing label for experimental games and projects led by new directors. Lunar Division's first game is led by Bithel Games' Nick Tringali. Nick's great. I love Nick. For uh, just a little disclaimer, because we should do it. Uh, Bithel Games was the publisher, is the publisher of the board, uh, the board game, the uh, game dev business handbook and the <laughs> game dev budgeting it. handbook. It's all right, folks. I know the name of my books. Do you? We'll get there. Are you sure? Yes. Uh, so uh, Nick and I have met. A couple of times, I believe. Uh, Really wonderful human. Uh, This is cool. So uh, the first game that Nick is going to be leading is called The Banished Vault. And it's described as a strategy game about exploring space in an interstellar gothic monastery. That's the titular vault. Uh, This has some very Warhammer-y vibes to it. Like I'm feeling it personally. As, As an avid adorer of... 40k and Mm -hmm. all of its beautifully satirical nonsense around hey guys fascism is bad but also did you guys know that playing as nuns with guns is pretty cool it's true there was that whole hitman trailer about it oh that is not okay (laughs) i know exactly what you're talking about and i'm so angry at you for even bringing that up you are a monster sir i am a monster All right, uh, Microsoft and Activision. Obviously, this acquisition is a huge, huge, huge piece of news, and we're going to keep coming back to it, whether we like it or not. Um, Lots of little things here that are directly related to the acquisition, but also some bigger picture Microsoft business stuff that we Mm -hmm. wanted to kind of, for um, cohesion's sake, include here. So first up, the European Commission got some blowback from a tweet posted by a member of the group, Ricardo Cardoso. Cardoso tweeted that the commission is, quote, working to ensure that you will still be able to play Call of Duty on other consoles, parentheses, including my (gasps) PlayStation. Oh, no. Yeah. Obviously, there are some bias issues here that people immediately pointed out. And the commission has tried to distance itself, suggesting that Cardoso isn't involved in the proceedings. So why would he comment on them in what seemed like an official capacity? Oh, that's a bad time. Yeah, Microsoft will surely remember this. Yeah, everybody disliked that. Yep. 
Uh, Microsoft gaming boss Phil Spencer was on the Verge's Decoder podcast and actually dropped a number of interesting tidbits. With regards to the uh, accusation, acquisition, listen, it's been... We're both having a time, folks. It's been a long week and it's only Tuesday is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. With regard to the acquisition, Spencer said regulators have not proposed any regulations yet, of course. Yep. Uh, with, With regard to Call of Duty... Uh, Here's what Spencer said, quote, we're definitely open to discussions with either Sony or regulators about making sure that that continues to happen in a way that they want to see. And according to, uh, I believe it was a story in the New York Times, uh, Spencer said, or uh, I think it was, it was Phil, uh, could have been somebody else at Microsoft, but I'm pretty sure it was Phil, said that they had offered Sony a 10 year contract for Call of Duty. And uh, I believe it was the Times reached out to Sony who did not comment. Of course. On it. Yeah, of course they didn't. So with um, in reference to Minecraft, there is no deal regarding Minecraft on PlayStation or Switch. Microsoft just does it because it makes sense for the business and for the players. And that's what's necessary financially also for Call of Duty. And I guess what I want to point out here is that Minecraft Dungeons is not Minecraft. Like there was no established user base for, for Minecraft Dungeons. No. But... This, so this isn't a matter of, well, Minecraft, we can't take Minecraft away from PlayStation. We can't stop updating Minecraft on PlayStation. No. This is a brand new game that they released on. So the brand is there. Right. It's it's really important to understand that, again, Microsoft and specifically Xbox's philosophy has really blossomed into this, into this approach of we need to widen the addressable market to ensure that the game is going where the players are. Yep. Microsoft are like Minecraft Dungeons is a fantastic handheld handheld game. Like it is. Mm-hmm. And it's great as a hybrid game too, like playing it on on a console or playing it on your computer is is both great, but it is genuinely excellent on handheld. So yeah, it really is. So, you know, making sure that the game is where the players are, I like that approach. And also Microsoft again with a lot of skin in the game has kept all of it has as now this is a trend that we're seeing back. I mean, it's wild to see this trend. So Microsoft has all of its games on on Steam as well. Yeah. Now, Ubisoft is apparently bringing its games back to Steam after um, being on EGS. Of course, we've had EA bring its games back to Steam. So we're seeing this cycle back from we want to control the entire vertical to we want to go where the players are. And this is, that's really Going where the trend. players are is an, is a really important way to ensure that you are keeping your market where you want it and being able to give players what they're looking for. They're the ones that are, are buying the games for crying out loud. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So it's just, uh, do, do, do reiterating Microsoft's commitment to call of duty on PlayStation, but also on game pass. And again, he, he, Phil Spencer is out there. He is trying to make as many public statements as possible to really reinforce Which is corporate strategy. Just to be it clear. Yeah, it yes. Really it, Again, we talk about this all the time. We do not stand corporations or executives on this podcast, but it is really, really important to understand that when we are looking at corporate strategy, right now it is aligning with player sentiment, which is great, but there could very well be a time where it doesn't. So this is not altruism. This is ensuring that people, players, investors, and regulators are all seeing a very unified message. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, additional comments. Hey, we're going to be on PlayStation if that's where the focus is. We're in third place. We have been for 20 years. 
you know, it doesn't make sense for us to to make Call of Duty a console exclusive, given mm-hmm. how much money we'd be leaving on the table. Absolutely. They, again, saying that they'd sign a contractual commitment to Sony for X years. Now we know that literally is the Roman numeral X. Uh, it is 10 uh, and that, but they would never sign a deal that says forever. That's a, and legally, no lawyer would let you sign a deal no, that says perpetuity. forever and ever and ever, we're going to put our game on this platform no. as long as it exists, because that's not smart. That gives you no flexibility as the IP owner. Yeah, so absolutely. we wouldn't expect to see a forever deal, but 10 years is a long time in this space. Yeah, it is a really long time in this space. So, um, regarding Keystone, mm-hmm. which is Microsoft's streaming box, they can't, they can't, um, get the price down low enough right now. So Spencer says that it needs to be between $99 and $129, which honestly we agree with. It's super important because the Series S is sitting at $300, well, $250 during the Mm -hmm. holidays. But a streaming-only box needs to be exceptionally affordable if they want to do what Nintendo has been trying to do with keeping a number of Switches in people's households. This is this is Microsoft's answer mm-hmm. to that and ensuring that gaming is accessible to as many people as possible, keeping the cost low. Yeah. I actually feel pretty good because when this story dropped in, it was in, uh, I think Greg dropped it into our Discord channel uh, for news. And I said, oh yeah, $99 is the right price. I hadn't even read the interview yet. <laughs> and and there we go. So I'm feeling there pretty good go. about that. Um, one last wrinkle on the Microsoft Activision deal. Blizzard has had a falling out with Chinese publisher NetEase with whom it has worked since 2008. Yeah, they, they, yeah. Yeah. Somebody's being a big jerk. Yeah, exactly. In a post on the Activision investor site, the company says that licensing agreements covering WoW, Hearthstone, Warcraft 3 Reforged, Overwatch, Starcraft games, Diablo 3, and Heroes of the Storm, all ending on January 23rd, 2023. That means those games will be suspended. Players will lose everything. Oh, wow. So, wow, wow, exactly. Exactly. Because WoW players have the most to lose here. Diablo 3 players, sure, absolutely. But WoW players, oh boy. Uh, Diablo Immortal won't be affected because it's under a separate agreement. Although, I would be a little worried about that agreement's shelf life. Well, I mean, honestly, I'd be a little worried about that game's shelf life for crying out loud. Yeah, I think, yeah, those two things definitely go hand in hand. So new sales are being suspended soon if they haven't been already. Uh, In an internal email obtained by the Washington Post, Blizzard President Micah Barr said that NetEase's, quote, approach was not aligned with Blizzard's commitment to players, employees, and operating principles. No idea what that means. NetEase informed users of their game saying that there were quote material differences on terms. Okay. And while Nettie says that the blizzard relationship represents low single digit percentage of total revenue, its stock took a 15% hit on the Ooh, because brutal. you're looking down the road, right? Yeah. It's only a few percent every year, but this has been a deal that's been in place since 2008. So the, so the, the cumulative oh, man, I would have impact. loved to have been a fly on the wall during that meeting. Yep. Uh, Dan Ahmad shared, uh, Nico Partners has published a report on this, noting that Blizzard earned about 3% of its net revenue, $264 million. They're leaving $264 million on the table uh, from its mainland China publishing deal with NetEase. As for NetEase, it earned somewhere between 4 and 6%. So that could be $550 million to $825 million. And yes, you would expect in this case to NetEase, for NetEase to earn more than Blizzard. In, of course. Because... For, again, for those of you who aren't entirely familiar, you do need to have a local partner who is the publisher of a game if you're releasing it in China. And it, they have to take you through all of the regulation issues that you are likely going to encounter uh. trying to publish a game. Honestly, releasing a game in China, even if you're a Chinese developer, is extremely difficult. Being a foreign developer and getting your game released in China is not impossible, but it's also deeply improbable. Mm-hmm. 
Nico Partners notes that there's going to be a reputational impact to both companies and there's going to be a long-term goodwill effect. Um, It's likely that Activision is going to seek a new partner, but this is actually a huge problem because the games would have to go through the regulatory process again and it's been almost two years since China has approved any foreign games. That's what I thought. Yep. I know that they they started to close things down for foreign games, like for those applications and publishings Mm -hmm. back back at the tail end of 2019, back when I finished up at Game Daily, because this was one of my beats was dealing with like, was talking about what's going on in Asia and China is a fairly significant portion of Asia. Mm-hmm. So who boy, yeah. um, even if Activision gets a new partner, it doesn't. These doesn't, games still might not show they up. They might for not show years. up for like five years. Yes. Uh, of course, this story does have its own little bit of salt. Medi's executive <laughs> Simon Zhu posted on LinkedIn, quote, as a gamer who spent 10,000 hours in the world of Azeroth, Starcraft and Overwatch, I feel so heartbroken as I will no longer have the access to my account and memories next year. One day, when what has happened behind the scene can be told, developers and gamers will have a whole new level of understanding of how much damage a jerk can make. Feel terrible for players who lived in those worlds. So who's the jerk? Bobby Kotick? Micah Barra? Maybe the answer is yes? Yeah. Yeah. That's ugly. So those, uh, so yeah, that's, there's a lot going on in Microsoft Activision that is directly related to the deal and has potential impact on the deal. But those aren't the only investment stories. Mandy, you've got uh, a handful here. Why don't you walk us through what else is going on? I do. Yeah. You, you took us through the bulk of that, of that mess, but I want to talk about some new studios. So Behold Ventures has raised $25.9 million to create a gaming venture capital fund focused on funding Nordic gaming startups. This brand new fund is focused on funding gaming startups in Sweden, Finland, Norway, Denmark, and Iceland. This is the largest game-focused fund in Sweden. Mm -hmm. So it's actually founded by uh, Carl Magnus Trotsen. Yeah. Who's former DICE, Uh right? I may have interviewed him. uh, Yeah, I think you might have. I, I think it was at E3. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you did, because I'm pretty sure I read that art, that, uh, that interview. Um, so also founded by Sigurlina Ingvarsdottir from CCP and DICE, as well as Magnus Kennedy from Sequent. So I, I picked up this little bit mm-hmm. from the interview with Gamesweeks. I actually thought it was really interesting. Uh, quote, this is from Trotsen himself. So Behold's three founders have come together because we share this conviction. Know that together we can act as catalysts. Now that's interesting. And thereby achieve great results. We have successfully worked in the game industry throughout our careers. And we know what it takes to become global successes. Um, So in addition, we have a large group of strategic investors who have contributed to the fund and will be long-term assets for our companies. So I think it's not just that they are providing money, but they may very well be more involved in these projects because it is industry people that are Mm -hmm. funding this fund. Yeah. Which is super cool to me. Yes. So I like that a lot. Uh, So that's what's going on with Behold Ventures. Moving right along to a brand new studio. So Sharantel Iguado, if you've never heard of Iguado, I don't blame you because she works in television. Um, She's best known for her work on shows like The Walking Dead, The Boys, and Invincible. But she's actually starting a gaming studio. That's cool. And she's starting a gaming studio called Astrid Entertainment. This isn't her first foray into gaming, however. She did serve as an advisor at Hinterland, which is a British Columbian studio behind Mm -hmm. the long dark. So this is from the press release. 
Quote, the company recently secured a high seven-figure pre-seed investment from a group of investors, including Netties Games, Stardom, and Tower 26. Astrid's leadership team, which will be announced in the next coming months, includes accomplished and innovative game developers from both AAA and indie backgrounds. So even though the press release states that Astrid will be working or will be building a, quote, fantastical interactive world grounded in rich lore, environmental world building and system design to encourage the emergence of multiplayer stories. I have no idea what this means Hmm. genuinely, but I'm very interested in seeing how their leadership team is going to shape up, especially in the wake of this next studio. So let's talk about a, let's talk about methodical games. So Methodical Games is a new studio that was founded in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, founded by nine folks who have worked at places like Epic Games, Respawn, and Infinity Ward. So they have raised $15 million in a round led by Lightspeed Venture Partners. Mm -hmm. Methodical Games will be working on a multiplayer game, but not a shooter, Mm -hmm. as their pedigree may imply. It'll be an action adventure. One of this one of so here's the here's the reason why I said I'm very interested in checking out how Astrid Entertainment is going to come together in terms of their leadership team because Methodical Games said in their blog post, quote, "We feel strongly about creative and creating an inclusive environment where everyone is free to be themselves." And I love that. Mm-hmm. I do think that that's really important. But notably not a single woman ah. on the founding team. Mm. And this is a founding team that consists of industry veterans like Adam uh, Belfoil, Frank G- uh, Gigliotti, and Dave Ratty. So I'm not sure how that's inclusive. Mm. I really don't. Yeah. All right. One more. Woo. All right. One more. Um, Eschatology Entertainment has raised $4 million in seed funding. The seed round was led by the Games Fund and GEM Capital. Eschatology was founded earlier this year and has since expanded to 40 employees across eight countries. We did talk about this a number of months ago when they actually announced the studio opening, but in case you've forgotten, the founders are um, Fuad Kuliev, which is, and he is the CEO and creative director. Viktor Antonov is the visual director. Boris Nikolaev is the COO, and Dmitro, I'm going to butcher his last name, so I'm not even going to say it, uh, who is going to come on as the CTO, or has been acting as the CTO. So a bunch of these folks have all worked together at Wargaming uh, around late 2010 and actually founded Lesser Evil Games in 2016. Mm, Okay. So there we go. Lots of really interesting stuff going on, moving and shaking with new studios um but if you claim you're going to be inclusive and you're not actually inclusive from the get-go don't talk about inclusion mm-hmm. just um, don't do it before we wrap this up we just talked a lot about vc uh we have an interview that'll be going live next week that is specifically about venture capital yes and we're very excited to share it with you it's, it's an evergreen so interview it is a must listen it's a tight 40 minutes total yeah is i it- think it was about 40 45 minutes it was an excellent conversation we had a great time talking with this person. We'll be we'll be talking more about it over on our Discord, and we will be obviously posting it next week. I think at some point. I'm not yeah, really I, sure. Yeah, I'd like where. to go early next week. I think. Yeah, I yeah. think that makes good sense. Yep. So keep your keep your eyes open on your podcasting platform of choice. We'll obviously we'll post it on Twitter, and we're on Hive now. So yeah, we'll talk about that uh, at the end because that's we're really liking Hive. But first, it's time for a break. Mm-hmm. 
Virtual Economy is an F-squared initiative, and along with pro bono business consulting for up-and-coming developers, it's a way we are working to give back to the community that has already given us so much. To find out more about F-squared and the services we can provide, including pitch prep, media training, mock reviews, and business strategy guidance, visit our website at fsquared.biz. And we are back. Hey, Mike. Yes. What time is it? It's time for Quick Hits. Very nice. Thank you. Very nice. I feel good about that one. Yeah, I feel good about that too. Thank you. You hit it. Thanks. Uh, There's been a lot of discussion about whether subscription services are ultimately going to be bad for the game industry due to incentivizing a narrow subset of game types. Right. right? We've seen this conversation ever since, you know, Game Pass was first discussed. Right. Uh, However, one glimmer of good news comes out of Obsidian on the release of its latest game, Pentiment, which (gasps) I know you have been playing. Pentiment is so good. If you're a history dork... And I do mean you have to be a real history dork for this, although it is a really great game, even as a murder mystery. But if you are a history dork, it will tickle all of your history dork bones. And yes, I said that out loud with my mouth. I'm Mm -hmm. not taking it back. That's okay. Play Pentiment. Yes. Now, bear in mind that Obsidian is owned by Microsoft. (laughs) So Pentiment's inclusion in Game Pass was a foregone conclusion. For sure. Uh, However, on a recent Waypoint podcast, Pentiment game director Josh Sawyer said, quote, I never would have proposed making Pentiment without Game Pass. Like, I literally just wouldn't have done it. I just don't think it would have been possible. He went on to say that the Game Pass environment is different than the traditional publishing environment. Quote, in a traditional model, I just don't think I would have even bothered because no one's going to pick that up. Even if my bosses were supportive of it, it would have been so incredibly difficult to get a publisher to pick it up. And that's why this specific environment is the only way in which I really conceive of it being viable. Now, I think that sentiment is wonderful. I love it. I love seeing that Game Pass is opening the doors for more types of games. What I need to see, though, is how that is extending to third party. Yeah. It's great to be like, we're inside Microsoft. We know this game is going on Game Pass. We know it is. uh, There's no financial barrier to to entry that's above and beyond the Game Pass subscription that people already uh, pay for. Right. But those deals would need to then exist, you know, in similar ways for third party developers and publishers for us to say, yeah, Game Pass continues this mission of bringing in games that might not otherwise find publishing or find an audience. Weird games. Weird games. You know what? Honestly, we need more weird games because weird games like Pentiment are, yeah, they're for very niche, weird players like me that love dorking out about history and apparently, especially in Bavaria, which honestly, I've done a lot of reading about history in Bavaria, not necessarily in this time frame. But like, you know, 14th, 15th century, Mm -hmm. not so much Mm -hmm. 16th, 17th, but that's okay. Anyway, Pentiment is great. You should play it. Yep. Hoo boy. Yeah. Okay. So this next one is frustrating, but we have to talk about it. Yeah. So Hasbro is being accused of pinching Magic the Gathering players on price too much. Bank of America analyst Jason Haas says that Hasbro owned Wizards of the Coast is overproducing product. Card prices are falling, stores are losing money, and collectors are divesting while larger retailers are cutting orders. Yeah, this was really interesting. Now, I have been watching, we were away from Magic for a while, and then we came back, and I'm going to say that the product mix right now doesn't feel great. I hate the fact that there are like three or four different kinds of boosters. There's your traditional draft booster. Like, there used to just be one booster. Yeah. Right. It was you get your 15 cards yep. and there's lands and there's a land in there and there was a distribution, a standard distribution of commons, uncommons, rares and and or mythic rares. Sure. Uh, which were introduced 
It feels like it was just yesterday, but it's been a while now. Um, it was after I stopped playing the first time, though. Yeah, but now you've got collector boosters, which have alternate art cards. You've got alternate language cards. You've got full frame cards. Uh, the latest set that Brothers War has Transformers cards in it. Um, and then there's, um, there's set boosters, which may have other cards that are in standard that you can put into a deck to reinforce it. It, it that just, just seems really complicated. And there's, of course, Commander decks. Which All those are, I love, though. I love Commander decks, and I should probably try to get the Warhammer decks before they're gone. Um, I, I love Commander decks, but the problem with Commander is there's a lot of very complicated card interactions in them, so you have to know how to play <laughs> in order to really enjoy Commander. It's yeah. got some complicated rules and some very complicated card interactions. What's missing from the product mix right now is that entry-level product, which used to be pre-constructed decks. Yeah, pre-constructed decks are are a major, a majorly important way to get new players into the hobby. Otherwise, they just end up getting confused and they don't want to play it. It's like the way Warhammer used to be, right? Like we were just talking about Warhammer and Warhammer 40k. Back in the day before, you know, you had like army box sets. And even then, those army box sets were a pro they're still expensive. expensive they're very expensive now but those models are much nicer yeah much nicer than they were back in the day so but it was prohibitively expensive to get new people into the hobby it's still fairly expensive but not nearly as bad yep. because the models are actually much nicer mm -hmm. but when it comes to collectible card games you have to ensure that you're not just you know, looking at the players that you already have, you have to always be looking towards folding new people in. That's why D&D 5th Edition has been so successful mm -hmm. because it's all about folding new players in. So this is actually, you know, this is a, a good segue because Haas also says that the revenue tied to Magic is being driven by extracting more revenue per player rather than growing the player base. Yeah. That's a big one. It, it is like, a big one. But that goes, to, that goes to what I was saying about the different exactly. booster sets and where you've got people who are like, well, normally I would buy, when we used to play and there was only one type of booster, it was three of us. We would buy two booster boxes. We would draft those booster boxes once a week. And then once we were out, we would have, we would just play constructed until the next set came out. But now you've got people who are like, oh, I got to, I'm going to buy my normal draft booster so I can draft with my friends. But also, I want to buy the collector's boosters. Oh, also, I want to buy right. the set boosters because there's there's some cards. And the there, anniversary packs. And like, oh yeah, this 30th so, anniversary pack is the big issue here. Yeah, the big issue noted was the recent absurd 30th anniversary packs that were four boosters, so about 60 cards, for the just ridiculous price of one thousand dollars. Yep. With a guaranteed reprint of Magic's most noteworthy cards, Black Lotus. Yep. The problem, though, is that Wizards made a commitment to not reprint cards on the reserved list, which includes Black Lotus. So players are scrambling to offload their collection since that trust was broken. Yep. Uh, very interesting to watch. I, I feel like the product mix on Magic the Gathering has gotten out of hand, and there is no great onboarding for players. And if they're relying on Magic Arena to do it, which is a great app. It's a fantastic way to get into Magic. It and, is. If you, but why would you ever play physical Magic when you have Arena? I, and I will go one further. I think that Arena is a great way to get back into Magic. I don't think that onboarding... I think that onboarding throws a lot at new players. I mean... That's, that's, for, uh, yeah, I've been playing Magic the Gathering since I was 10 years yeah. old, so, and I'm 36. We've both 36. been playing for a long time, so, yes. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch what changes, if any, Wizards of the Coast makes around this. We'll have to see. Yep.
Moving uh, right along. Yeah, Elden Ring has now sold 17.5 million copies, according to Bandai Namco's most recent earnings report. Um, and then uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tackle this one because I want you to tackle the one after that you worked on. <laughs> um, a recent Newsu report says that VR game revenue is on track to hit $1.8 billion this year. But here's why I'm chuckling a little bit at this. When I wrote the cover story for Game Informer's VR issue, which I wrote in December 2015 for the January 2016 issue. Aw, it was... The, those were the early days for us, yes. too. Um, back then, I actually included this in my story, Superdata predicted that VR content would be valued at $6.1 billion in 2017, <laughs> with the entire segment valued at $8.9 billion. Oh my gosh. More conservatively, analyst firm Piper Jaffray estimated that VR content would be worth $5.8 billion by 2025, and here we are looking at one8 in 2022 uh in the news report the firm predicts revenues of 3.2 billion in 2024 so and you know what? Piper jeffrey might still be right if newzu is right and newzu often is is more conservative these days they didn't always used to be but i tend to trust newzu's reports with their numbers and their forecasting more than i trust most other analyst firms Mm -hmm. i mean all of this is to say that vr has not exploded the way people thought it would in 2016 when the oculus rift consumer version one when the psvr when the vive first came out so i think we have had uh quite a cooling on the expectations for vr uh, it's definitely not helped by the giant price tags on incoming VR headsets. Uh, yeah, the uh, Quest Pro and the PSVR 2 have ridiculous price tags. And I mean, this is also following in the wake of the index, too. Sure, right? absolutely. Like, I mean, VR is just not affordable unless no. you buy, you know, a Quest. And it's clear that the Quest is not going to be Meta's big priority. They want to make more money. Yes. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Yep. Watch your addressable market shrink. Uh-huh. Huh. All right, Amanda. Oh, boy. Hit me, baby. One more <laughs> One time. One more time. So there's a strange story. This is a strange story from early in virtual economy's history. And this is about Cooking Mama. <laughs> Cooking Mama has had this controversy boil over. Oh. So here's the skinny and brief. Cooking Mama Cookstar has been subject to all kinds of legal shenanigans since its release on Switch in March 2020. It was removed from physical stores and even taken down from the eShop because of a licensing dispute between IP owner Office Create Core and publisher Planet Entertainment. Now keep those in mind because we are about to dig into some gnarly stuff. So Office Create asserted that Planet Entertainment refused to correct a number of issues with Cookstar, which meant that the final game did not meet Office Create's approval. You're messing with Mama. (laughs) Planet Entertainment decided to give, you know, just a brief shrug emoji and decided to launch the game anyway, because yeah, that's how, that's how law works. Sure, that's fine. Cool, you're definitely not in violation of your contract at all. So Office Create decided, you know, we gotta, we gotta protect our IP. So they terminated Planet Entertainment's licensing agreement and said that they'd pursue legal action. You know, since Planet Entertainment ignored Office Create and was just going to start selling the PS4 version, like, right then and there. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done that, because legal action was indeed pursued, and Office Create sued both Planet uh, Entertainment and CEO Steve Grossman for, quote, breach of intellectual property rights. So the International Chamber of Commerce's Court of Arbitration sided with Office Create. So here's the deal. Quote, by way of a final award dated October 3rd, 2022, Office Create wrote on its website, the ICC Arbitral Arbitral Tribunal has found, among other things, 
that Planet and Mr. Grossman were not authorized to release the Cooking Mama Cookstar Switch and PS4 games in 2020 and 2021, respectively. That the license agreement had been validly terminated, that the unlicensed Cooking Mama Cookstar products infringe on Office Create's trademarks, that they had engaged in unfair competition, that the packaging, labeling, and games falsely identified themselves, the origin of goods as Office Create, and that they are financially liable for their conduct. Oh, maybe we should have put this in the FAFO. Gosh, it would have been a good FAFO award. Yeah. But you know what? It is what it is. The Arbitral Tribunal has enjoined Planet and Mr. Grossman from selling, passing off, inducing, or enabling others to sell or pass off any product as a Cooking Mama product and or otherwise suggesting any association slash connection with Office Create or Cooking Mama franchise. Are these going to end up in the desert next to the E.T. hole? (laughs) There's a lot of holes next to the E.T. hole at this point, Mike. I know. It really is. This is turning out to be, in fact, like the novel holes. (laughs) Um, Anyway, Planet Entertainment has shown that it is not, in fact, better than Mama. That's fair. Who is really? All right, Mike, this one's yours. This is all you, baby. This is joy. This is all you, baby. Yeah. Take us through. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. You ready? I'm I'm like, I'm so ready. Okay. So, uh, GameStop. (laughs) I love Uh, that that's, that's like the lead in here. So, uh, GameStop. Yeah. So, uh, remember they, they entered into a deal with- I don't know her. Cryptastrophe. (laughs) FTX. Yeah. Uh, they've announced that they're severing ties with the ghost of Crypto Bros past. (laughs) Folks, I want you to know that I actually read this to her yesterday- so that she would <laughs> not lose it while I was reading this. Oh no, it's happening anyway. F's in chat for FTX. Oh. Brah. Oh, the ghost of Crypto Bros past is just chef's kiss. Yeah. It's beautiful. Oh, this was another candidate that could have been a FAFO award. You know what? We're tired. I know. Okay. We're not gonna, we're, look, we're tired. So, and finally for quick hits, you may have heard that a couple of former Square Enix employees have been arrested for insider trading. It's an interesting story, but not one we'd normally include until we learned that one of them is Sonic co-creator Yuji Naka. Yeah. So this was reported by Japanese outlet FNN. Naka, who worked for Square Enix as the director of failed Bal and Wonderworld, uh, yeah, was arrested for insider trading. And it was related to something around, like, I think it was uh, uh, Dragon Quest Tact, the tactics game. Like, like Of all things? I, the whole thing is so bananas. But I, I just have to wonder, like, how much of this was because Naka, like, just started slinging mud at Square Enix over Balan Wonderworld? And then he's like, oh, I was removed from the project. I was left out. It's like, were you removed because you were insider trading, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> was that the reason you were removed? Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Uh, oh, boy. And? And those were quick hits. I'm still laughing over this, though. Did, <sighs> you, did you get... Were you, were did you, you get caught? Because you, cause you were insider trading. You got tra- caught. Were you insider trading again, bud? <laughs> Is I that what happened? Put, I like that you put again on there. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> but but is that what happened? Tell me what really happened. Oh. Tell me what happened at school today. Oh no. Oh, were you trading gum? 
<laughs> trading gun nose trading hockey cards yeah. oh wait we're in america you guys uh, don't trade hockey bumble. cards down here it's so weird all right we're gonna move right along into the labor report Oh boy. Okay, so we have two Microsoft stories this week, and the first one up Actually, is... that's the entirety of the labor report is Microsoft. That's it? That's it. Wow. Okay. That never happens. Okay, yeah. so our labor report is two stories. When was yeah. the last time this happened? Yeah, I know, right? So, two Microsoft stories. First up is something that we are following up on from last week. So... Mike, this is your thing. Yeah. This was your story. I want you to take me through this. Okay. So I, I'm really glad that we kind of prefaced everything by saying last week that this whole McCordy thing, it's like one side of the story and now we have the other side. Like there was the original thing from Marty Stratton a couple of years ago and then there was the Mick Gordon post. Uh, this is related to Doom Eternal's soundtrack and the, specifically the soundtrack that was released as part of the collector's edition, how it didn't meet, uh, it didn't really meet player expectations. Um, so remember that Gordon posted a lengthy set of allegations via Medium. Bethesda has now issued its own statement in response, and the company says that Gordon's statement, quote, mischaracterized and misrepresented the team it did software. Additionally, Bethesda says that as evidence that it will demonstrate, quote, in the appropriate venue, that of course reads to us as the courtroom, <laughs> uh, to back up its claim that Gordon presented selective facts. Uh, regardless of whether Bethesda is right or wrong in this, though, the responses from fans have been swift and profound. Yeah, for uh, real. Those who are being vocal are unhappy with Bethesda and suggesting that Bethesda present its evidence, but we all know that Twitter is not the appropriate venue for literally anything. <laughs> uh, literally anything, including Bethesda, tweeting. Bethesda saying, oh, we have evidence that we'll put we'll, we'll put in the appropriate venue. And we've got fans who are like, well, this is the appropriate venue now, so why don't you show us your evidence? Mick had evidence. Why don't you show evidence? This it's is like, not how He's this an individual works. and they're a corporation and that is part of Microsoft. Like... That's not how any of this works. I, I understand the desire to, from their perspective, back up Marty Stratton and back up uh, the uh, sound designer Chad uh, Massholder, or Mossholder, uh, who was uh, named often by uh, in the in the Mick Gordon post. But I'm not sure this had the desired effect. As much as Bethesda says, we remain incredibly proud of Id's previous collaborations with Mick Gordon and ask that fans refrain from reaching conclusions based on his account and more importantly, from attacking any of the individuals mentioned on either side, including Marty, Chad, or Mick. The Woo! problem is they posted this on Twitter where people, like, they attack people. Like, this is, this is, Twitter is, Twitter is like literally throwing meat to rabid animals. <laughs> Just meat to rabid animals. That's a very interesting way of looking at it. I don't think that's the way rabid animals actually. Oh, I don't know what the sound of foaming at the mouth is. One more time. I don't know what the sound of foaming at the mouth is. No, I was looking for you to make the sound again. (laughs) (laughs) We're off the rails today, folks. It's been a Tuesday. Yes. All right. What's the other Microsoft story? All right. So the other story in labor today is that Microsoft hired a law firm to conduct an audit of its practices around misconduct and employee complaints. The report details 11 recommendations for new policies, including requiring company leaders to disclose relationships with employees. How is that not a thing? In the year of our Lord, 2022. My good bitch. How is this not a, how I, is this not I a thing? I don't know. I don't know. Michael, so, I, I have something to tell you. Oh no, what? I have something to tell you. What is it? As a founding member of F Squared, yes. I'm in a relationship with another founding member of F Squared. Oh shit, who is it? It's you. Yes! <laughs> that was so stupid. <laughs> that was so dumb. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but also I'm not sorry at all. I'd like to thank the Academy. 
Academy of what? You Folks, know what? No, 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 Mufasa. Mufasa. <laughs> it's been a day. Okay, so Microsoft says that it will address all of the recommendations by June 30th, which is the end of its fiscal year. That's it will. The bread. <laughs> I'm bringing it back, folks. Stop it. Can't escape. No, stop it. Because you're going to get our daughter to start saying it again. And she went on a, she went on a, that's, that's the bread bender. Are are you going to want to yeast me into the sun? Yes, I will in fact want to yeast you into the sun. So anyway, it will also present an annual review of internal harassment claims, including how many were acted upon due to findings of fact. The first report is due by December 1st, but the Bloomberg report on this doesn't indicate if that's in 2022 or 2023. So we'll have to see. This was spurred in part from allegations against Bill Gates regarding a complaint filed alleging he engaged in inappropriate action. The board investigated. A report was presented in November of 2019 and Gates departed his role as chairman in March of 2020. Two other corporate VPs were investigated and left the company unclear if they were exited or just left yeah um the report also noted that that quote there is and has been a perception among some employees that the company tolerates and to some degree protects high-performing senior executives who may be engaging in inappropriate conduct Mm. y'all if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck it's probably a taco oh i mean a duck it's probably a duck that's harassing other ducks. Oh, no. Don't harass other ducks. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's a bad time. Uh, that's a very bad time. But you know what? That. That's it for us on this episode yeah, of hold on. I, Virtual seeing... Economy. Give me one second because... because No, that's enough. We're not doing... This is no late breaking news. Late Why... breaking news. Why are you like this? Uh, oh. Uh, multiple sources, this is Matt Brown, who is the publisher of Extra Points, uh, believes that EA is going to announce that EA Sports College Football will be sliding from 2023 to 2024. I would imagine that that's because of licensing. Licensing issues, yeah. I would imagine. Which is, why, right. I, which is why I grabbed it. Like, cause yeah. Because it's, it's a business story. Yeah, it's a business story. It's a business we story. D- we do talk about the business of video games around here. Play Pentiment! <laughs> Thanks for listening to- <laughs> The dogs love that one. Thank you for listening to the Virtual Economy Podcast, even when we go off the rails a little. You, in theory, can follow us on Twitter at Virtual Econcast. I guess we should create a hive for... Is it easy to switch accounts on hive like that's part of the problem is it's so easy to well for now it's so easy to switch accounts on twitter anyway we're gonna keep all of virtual economy stuff on twitter for the foreseeable but you can also you can follow us on twitter i'm amanda farrow mike is footerish yep you can also that's this i'm footerish on hive also f-u-g-t-e-r-i-s-h i knew he had to do that it was like he was getting itchy for it i was getting itchy for it and I'm also on Hive under the same name. I'm trying to keep consistent, yeah, but too. but I'm Ready Player Mama on the Instagrams. Um, so you can subscribe to our RSS feed at virtualeconcast.com, but don't go to the homepage because it's still broken. I know I've been saying this for two months, and I know I keep saying I'm going to fix it, and I swear to you Life that I will fix it. Life finds a way to kick you in the butt. I will fix it once I remember to fix it. <laughs> Mike, take take a note. Put a reminder in your phone for Amanda to fix the website. He does this for me all the time. Mike, can you remind me? Okay, let me put a let me put a reminder in my phone. His memory is much better than mine, but also is garbage. <laughs> That's because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, failing our RSS feed, you can also listen to us on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and I think there's one more. What was the Pocket other? Pocket Sand! Oh, no! Oh, right in the face! <laughs> oh, it's in my eyes! How big is that? Mike, what else can people do? Because I can't read. Because uh, I have Pocket Sand in my eyes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you can subscribe to the show. That'd be awesome. Uh, and if possible, review it. We love that. And uh, let us know what you think. Please DM us. Uh, send us a note on Discord. You can join our Discord server. We're, we're glad to send you an invite. You can DM us on Twitter. We are still looking at our DMs. Um, you can email us questions. We love listener questions. Podcast at fsquared.biz. Again, Discord DM. All of that stuff is a great way to get us a listener question. Uh, we're we really, delighted, we really delighted like, to we, answer those. We want listener questions. We yes. need them. They, they are... They are delightful. Please give them to us. Yes. So uh, our next episode will be a bonus episode. Uh, It's an interview about equity funding. It sounds like it might be equity funding. That sounds dry. That's boring. No, no, no. We have been getting these questions for literal years about what We're going to take care of you. This is going to be along the lines of our Kari Toyama podcast about QA and and how QA is so important. This is going to be one of those evergreen episodes that people are going to want to come back to because there's so much awesome information in there. I'm so excited about it. That'll be next week. Uh, But for now, uh, for those of you in the U.S., have an awesome Thanksgiving later this week. Uh, And for everybody, especially those of you who are carving a turkey, remember to wash your hands, stay hydrated, and be good to one another. Gobble, gobble.